do Irish people sound like? Don't know. My great grandma didn't speak that much. Your, your great grandmother didn't speak that much. No. The year is 1935. No. The year is 1936, actually. It's 1936. No. I sound like an Irish person trying not to sound like an Irish person is the problem. Correct. Which means I don't sound like an Irish person. Also correct. Yeah. Just one more time. The year is 1936. And during the 1936 Olympics, Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein? Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. And Haiti realized their national flags were the same. So uh, Liechtenstein had to add a gold crown to theirs. Oh, to to sh- to prove that they're like, we're the colonizers. Yeah, but I also imagine it was just like a uh, like a game of rock paper scissors. Like fuck, one of us has to change. Haiti should have added like a broken chain to theirs, just to Ooh. really like rub it in. That's fair. That is hilarious. That's really funny. Also, in 1936, everyone's favorite Muppet Fister, <laughs> the felt freak himself, Jim Henson, was born. Oh. Do you think that's what the doctor said upon his birth? (laughs) This is a a baby that looks like he's going to be fisting some felt. And mom's like, why would you say that? Why would you say that? This is Henson. He's like, why would you say that? Um, Do you know what also also happened in 1936? What? The Informer won the Oscar for Best Directed Movie. Yes. John Ford won the Oscar for Best Director. And next year, he'd invent a car. No, different. Different, <laughs> different Ford. Ford. Hello, Andy. Who are you? What do you do here? I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. That really put me on my back foot. Um... <laughs> Why didn't you just start it then? I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun to spice it up. Mm, you were wrong. I apologize. Okay. I'm your critic, Andy Reyes, and I primarily try to talk about things from a historical or minority point of view, um, which we actually get to kind of do uh, for once. Um, I also try to talk about the um, kind of movie production and movie history sides of things when I can. I'll be your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I talk about feminism and socialism. Social movements. And social movements, which we actually get to talk about on this episode. How exciting. It's it's kind of amazing how much we get to talk about that's interesting and how none of it is this movie. That's the thing, right? When you use interesting things as set dressing, your movie doesn't care about them, but we get to. We get to. We get to care about them, unlike these movies. Do you want to hear do you want to hear a summary? I'd love to hear a summary. A summary of this movie? Yeah. In the midst of revolution against the British crown in Dublin, Jippo Nolan and his lover Katie dream of leaving the Emerald Isle for America. But without funds and without hope, Jippo wanders the streets, lashing out at anyone within his meaty grasp. Out of this darkness comes an old friend on the run from British law. Frankie, a member of the ARA, asks Jippo if it's all right for him to go visit his ma'am. Jippo assures him it's safe, but upon seeing a wanted poster with Frankie's name on it, he makes a decision he won't soon regret, and informs on his own best friend for 20 pounds. And yet, after getting word from the Black and Tans that Frankie died in a gunfight, Jippo decides to spend that money, drinking his sorrows away. 
This is where his former associates of the IRA continue to find him throughout the night. With suspicions running high and a little too many holes in his story, Jippo is finally brought before military tribunal around 1.30 in the morning, and here, justice comes out amid a hail of gunfire and the truth in a pool of blood. This is the best summary we've ever had, and also the longest. This is what editing gets you. This is what happens when I get to edit something instead of just We should have recorded yesterday. Cuff. Yeah. How dare you? Um, I get to sound so refined and eloquent, <laughs> and, that, and never again for the rest of this podcast. Uh, it's true. So yeah, we got to watch The Informer. Um, not the new one, the nineteen thirty six. Yes, one. not the twenty nineteen blockbuster action film starring some white guy with a five o'clock shadow, but the nineteen thirty five film. This is the most middling movie I think we've seen. Not good, but not insultingly terrible. It's kind of a movie in which nothing happens. Yeah, a lot of the movie is nothing happening. It's also, I think, the first movie without a clear, like, theme. I feel like a lot of these movies are trying to do something, even if it's just be propaganda. And this movie doesn't really know what it wants, I, ever. I think I think it, it comes... This movie's juggling a little too many balls in the air at one time. Because I think, like, unlike the last movie we watched, whose name escapes me, that's a movie that intentionally didn't want to be about anything. This movie wants to be about something. It wants to be about... A lot of things. Like, it wants to be about revolution. It wants to be about, like, the poor. It wants to be about, um, you know, what it means to uh, to betray a, a cause that you used to fight for. It wants to be about um, immigration. It wants to be about alcoholism. And in the end, it just doesn't... It isn't about anything because all of it ultimately comes to nothing. I would argue that... At the end of the movie, the only theme or message you can take away is that we should forgive violent men because they don't know better, which is a bad theme and message. Absolutely, because especially because this is a movie filled with violent men, but unlike the protagonist, for lack of a better word, the other men in this film are violent with a cause. They're violent with direction. Yeah, like the, the black and tans, which are the violent police, police force. Like are our tool of oppression, so their violence is directed at the people, especially the Irish people, specifically the Irish people. And the IRA is a tool of liberation, so their violence is almost exclusively directed at the black and tans. And then in the middle of it, you have Jippo, whose violence is directed at anybody who's around him. If he is in a bad mood, whether you're friend or foe, or British or Irish, police or civilian, he hurts you. But all, but because the movie treats his violence as almost ch- endearing, childish, yeah. right? Like he's a kid who doesn't know any better. The movie wants you to see him as like a tragic figure, but what he is is a danger to society. What he is is like a terrifying figure. <sighs> like he's massive. He's the biggest dude on screen at all times. He's huge. He is absolutely shown like manhandling the woman he's in love with. He is like such a good representation of like the man small people and i mostly mean like women fear of like you never know if he's going to punch you or kiss you yeah i'm not a big dude you know you're not a small dude i'm not a small dude but i'm not i'm not like a huge dude i'm 511 6 i weigh 185 pounds on a good day and i know that i need to hold myself in a way that is 
as non-threatening as possible because I, I live in a part of the country that has a lot of people who are average about 5'5 five, five to 5'10. Five, I, I don't want to come off as threatening. And so I do everything in my power to, I don't yell, I don't make sudden movements. And, and it's like, this is all just because I know my bigness can be a factor in how people find me intimidating. And so to just see this guy pushing his weight around on on women is it's so disgusting and the movie the movie is just like that's just how how men have to be that's just how men are but not any other man in the movie only jippo but we don't sympathize with anyone else in the movie because they're not our main characters we only sympathize with jippos which is very gross it's almost like an ode to toxic masculinity in a way that i don't think it's trying to be of like we should reward this behavior yeah he should literally murder his friends lie constantly be hyper violent get drunk and then uh, blame it on everyone else around him until we meet gallagher right and then then this movie becomes classist right because gallagher is he's he's a leader in the revolution he's an educated man he clearly comes from some form of means and his relationship with mary who's his love interest is shown as loving and endearing and they respect each other it's almost as if the movie's trying to say like well, this is what love is for like us middle class, upper class people, but for the lower class, for the poors, that's just how it is. And, you know, that's just how they are. And it's like, fuck off. It's true. Katie very blindly loves him, even though she is constantly scared of him in a way that is wild because he's not even for the longest time bringing anything to the table. Not to say that like your romance should be like a transactional, transactional, but they're like starving on the street. And it kind of hints that she's like thinking about prostitution because she wants to eat something and sleep somewhere. Yeah. And he's like violent towards her and like, how dare you think about this? Why don't you love me? And she has to like console him and be like, oh, no, baby, I I love you so much. I would never. And it's like, well, you're still both starving, though. Mm -hmm. And you have to like blindly console this man as you continue to starve and he does nothing about it. And you could do something about your means but can't because you're afraid of him. Well, but then the worst part is is that he he does this thing. He betrays his best friend, gets 20 pounds, which in in that time apparently is an absurd it's or maybe it's just in in Dublin, but it's an absurd amount of money. And then he just throws it away. He never and and he the, forgets she exists for like an hour of, of this movie. movie. It, it's like a it's like a tagline of his. Oh, I forgot my love existed. It's like, yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? That was the the whole point of you doing this, right? Was to run away. Um, to, to America. Just, and to watch him just throw it away and not even... He doesn't even feed her. No. He doesn't even get her food. He doesn't even get her a place to sleep for the night. No. He... So the way they do this is awful. So he kills his best friend and is like, I feel bad about it, I guess. So I'm gonna... And he gets 20 pounds and he immediately goes to the bar to start drinking. This is where Katie finds him and is like, oh, my God, where did you get all this money from? Did you steal it from a church? And this is like the beginning of his lies because he spends this entire movie never feeling bad for what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's like, sure, I stole it from a church, whatever. Right. Yeah. And she's like, well, let's go get a place to stay. Like, oh, my God. And he's like, yeah, let's go do that. And then he leaves her for an hour with her still on the street and with him literally throwing his money at strangers and other women. At, d- at one point in the movie, he confuses a British woman for her, figures out it's not her, and still gives her money 
to leave Ireland to go back to London, a thing that he can't even do for his own love interest. Like, this woman never makes it to America. At the end of this movie, she is crying in somebody else's house because she knows he's going to die. Yeah. And it's like, have some more respect for yourself, lady. There are plenty there's there's like at least four other dudes the members of the ira that we don't know how single they are like, i'm just saying berkeley's a chad Bar- yeah Bartley's, you should see if berkeley's Bartley's single. he's a man of action he's got morals he's handsome he's a great shot <laughs> from the hip Oof. tall glass of water he's got that trench coat thing going on he's sober he wears that hat that normal people can't wear anymore because of awful nerds, but he, he pulls it off. Uh, it's the 40s. That hasn't that stereotype doesn't exist yet. It's awful. And the entire time he's like, oh, I killed my friend. The thing he's leaning on for sympathy, or at least the thing the narrative is leaning on for sympathy, is like, well, he did it for his girlfriend. He did it so they could get to America, but then proceeds to show them him not giving a shit about that. So actually he did it because he wanted money and mm-hmm. he doesn't think about and, her. And we're playing into some pretty heinous stereotypes here too, right? The idea that like the all Irish, all poor Irish people are, are drunkards. And violent, and violent and belligerent. But it's weird because it's hard to tell, but this movie thinks that the IRA are a good idea. They it at least... It doesn't portray them as evil but it clear and it clearly thinks that what they're doing is too far but i would say this movie's kind of centrist on it like well maybe you should have independence but you shouldn't be so violent about it yeah no i i I think it leans a little towards the side of the ira just because there's no point in the movie where we see like we don't get to see a member of the black and tans as a uh as like a relatable figure. Yeah, or, and, or... and the the imagery that they use for the black and tans marching through the streets of Dublin is eerily similar to imagery of like Nazis marching through the streets of Berlin yeah, it's in very World fascist. War II films. Yeah, right. And and drawing that line I think is very interesting because the like we're gonna see the British as liberators here in a couple of years, but here in this moment they are the oppressors and they're always also side note, they're always the oppressors. Fun fact, the British are always the oppressors. But like to see imagery that is going to be used very soon for like Nazis and is going to resonate as Nazi-ish in this movie. I was like, weird. That's weird. It definitely is. I, I don't think we're supposed to sympathize with the black and tans. You have that imagery. You also, they also show them just assaulting um, people playing music on the street. Um, yeah, roughing them up for. And we never see the the IRA like roughing up anyone. So. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, just to, let's talk a little bit about history, actually. Let's talk a little bit about we're, history. We're throwing around some words. So, yeah, so it's the Irish, uh, IRA is the Irish Republican Army. They were a, uh, a paramilitary organization loosely associated uh, with uh, the kind of liberal political branch of the Irish Parliament's representation in the British government, Sinn Féin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably going to butcher a lot of these pronunciations. I do not know Gaelic. I do not know Irish Gaelic. They were basically kind of a loosely organized civilian militia dedicated to just being a thorn in the side of British oppression for basically all the way up until World War I um, when uh, they got to basically be a nominal republic under the Commonwealth. Yeah, um, their their whole goal was just that they wanted to be their own state. They didn't want to be under the thumb they, of Yeah, they wanted Europe a separate anymore. parliament 
it, it worked out for them kind of eventually. I mean, it, North Ireland was a bitch about it, but they well they took it because they were a largely unarmed um civilian uprising. They just didn't have the numbers to really like decisively defeat the British, so they kind of focused entirely on what we now call guerrilla tactics. And yeah, it absolutely worked well for them. And so the British response to this was to basically have a um, a militarized police force, which was colloquially known as Black and Tans, that was almost entirely serviced by former World War One veterans who couldn't get a job anywhere else. And so a lot of these people were untrained other than their brief military training and Excessively were just violent. weren't given uniforms and so they all, a lot of them showed up in their old black and tan world war one uniform dress and basically given guns and free reign to do whatever they wanted to stop this from continuing and so what they did was assault the civilian population and be become you know terrorists abroad and like the black and tans weren't just british they were there were nominally some irish in it but they were primarily british american canadian australian world war one vets um just just free reign over this countryside that wasn't theirs all for the sake of what uh the british crown to to continue to hold on to this how do you besmirch their name Mm -hmm. uh it a lot of it had to do with religion um yeah the south ireland was extremely catholic and europe and north ireland were very protestant it was tense religious but it was also political right like they wanted part of the reason why they wanted their own political representation was because of the oppression of catholic populations you know the british would go on to orchestrate the potato famine uh in order to to uh as close as possible genocide the irish population causing the flight to the americas which is kind of portrayed here right but like you have a population here that can't afford to eat while like these just like mad men with guns are just running around harassing anybody in their path it's true. Um, this this is very very like overt, like incredibly like an unthorough just overview of what the historical feeling was, right? The temperature of the moment. Um, I mean, that's more of an overview than the movie gives. Yeah, but that's the thing, is, right? Like the reason I'm talking about this is because none of this is in the movie. Really, the nouns are there, but the 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 movie doesn't care about the struggle. The movie thinks that the IRA are quote unquote good guys, right? Outlaws, but mm-hmm. like in a Robin Hood kind of way. Ultimately, it's just set dressing. Yeah, it just wants to talk about like poverty and be poverty porn. It's real edgelord shit, right? <laughs> like, ooh, we want to be edgy and cool, and look, we're showing the IRA. And yeah, isn't that? Aren't they mysterious? It's certainly a time. <laughs> I the thing that really sticks with me is as much as you're right, they do show the IRA in kind of this favorable way. Uh, Katie has this line, and Katie is also like our deuteragonist, our second person we care about. Mm-hmm. as much as she's literally only in like 30 yeah. minutes of this movie mm-hmm. um she she shows up right eventually when the ira have her boy jippo and she's like oh my god can't we just be peaceful like why does all of this war have to happen why do we have to kill this is like i feel like the director being like isn't this a turbulent time and the ira have a point but why are they so violent and it's so shallow because it's like, Katie, you're starving on the street. Like, that's why we can't be peaceful. Mm-hmm. Because you can't afford to live. What are you talking about? The, there's, there, it, it's, it's, a, it's an infuriating thing that you kind of have to bring up every once in a while, right? Which is that asking, asking the oppressors to be peaceful 
is asking them to stop committing violence against civilians. Asking the, the civilians who resist to be peaceful is asking them to lie down and take a bat to the back of the head, it's right? True. Is asking them to lie down and willingly starve, willingly be executed, willingly have violence done to them without recourse. And that is not a fair transaction, right? It is not the same to ask those, to ask for peace from both of these sides. And to do so is deeply insulting. To frame it as the moral truth in this movie is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. It's revisionist. It's true. It's it's the central ideology of like, well, I'm not really thinking too critically about it, but I wish things could return to the status quo. So I'm going to talk to this person who's not going to shoot me and tell them that they should change. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah, oh, why don't you go tell that to the black and tans outside? Right, well, exactly. Yeah. However, speaking of the IRA, let's talk about my favorite boy, Berkeley. Bartley, my boy. My this, beautiful boy. This guy, from the jump, the moment he sees Jippo is like, nah, this motherfucker did it. It's true. Oh, a thing we should mention. Jippo used to be in the IRA, but he refused to kill a like British soldier, and so they kicked him out, which is pretty... Incredibly lenient. Yeah. I think one of the characters brings it up later. Like, they wanted to kill you for letting him get away. And I argued to let you go. And a thing that throughout this movie we'll see that is endlessly frustrating, Jippo is constantly willing to kill members of the IRA to save his own skin and constantly saving British people. And it's wild. And again, like, this movie has no tone because we watch members of the IRA die for Jippo and we never see anyone who's British die on screen or off screen. No. And it's wild because it's like, why, why are you such a terrible? Like, do you not care about this, Jippo? Like, it seems like you're kind of a sympathizer with your oppressors. He, he's, it's, it's, it's one of those things, right, where it's like, nominally, he has attached himself to the cause, right, in his words. But his material actions, the things that he does, he's a betrayer to, through and through. He... His own best friend, the movie states from childhood, he gave up for money. And like, once you make that choice, you're a lost cause. You are, you are against this cause, no matter what you say. This goes beyond emotion, right? And yet this movie's constantly like excusing it. Like, oh, he's too stupid to know what he did. And it's like, absolutely not. No one's that stupid. Also, no offense, but if you are this dumb... You're like a huge risk as a very strong man. Mm-hmm. What? Like you at the very, like one, you've done a murder to your best friend. Like we can't trust you not to just kill people indiscriminately at this point if you're willing to kill like the one person you should care about. Could you imagine if at the end of, oh, spoiler alert for a you know 90 year old book. Could you imagine if at the end of Mice and Men, he was like, well, he didn't know what he was doing when he killed that girl. So I'm just going to let him live instead of, you know, brutally executing him in tears. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. The point that that book is trying to make is that, you know, this is a society in which people who don't know their own strength are liable to harm others. The education system isn't there, right? Like it's of my system and it's trying to say a lot about society and about poor people, right? About the working class. But the act, but the book understands that like the action that, that I forget their names of these two characters, but the, the action that he's taking, right? Shooting his own best friend is justice. His best friend 
killed a person. And even though he didn't understand what he was doing because of his mental illness, this is it's inexcusable and something has to be done. Because if otherwise, he's going to keep doing it. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, I'm not advocating for like killing mentally ill people, right? But the book is trying to say that this is something that like inaction is not a choice, right? And like if there if this was a just society, he, he could would never be, be in this position. He would never be in that position in the first place. But but society isn't just. Yeah. Drippo is never depicted as having no. a mental illness. He's just depicted as being poor and kind and of dumb. Violent. And therefore like he is violent in a way that is wild and it's just like this is insane and that's it's why it comes off as so misogynistic in just like toxic masculinity of like well men are violent and it's ridiculous of you to expect them not to be oh and the movie really doubles down on that later when yeah. even mary whose brother got murdered by jippo mm-hmm. is like well we have to forgive him because the violence is bad and it's like what mary what are you talking about you're, you watched your brother get executed almost Jesus style while jumping out of a window. Nah. Nah. No. Nah. Fuck him. Agreed. It's, it's, a, it's a bad time. Our main character is awful. It's, it's what makes this movie so painful to watch. It's just that it, the movie wants you to like Jippo so bad and you have zero reason to. He's a detestable human being. The, well, the, and the movie, the movie doesn't know how to make him appealing. So it just... Instead, it just has other characters constantly excusing his actions. And by the end of it, you're so fed up with him and his shit that when he is murdered by Bartley at like fucking just 12 shots in the gut, you're cheering. You're like, finally, comeuppance. And you know what? He doesn't even, he escapes death like three times. He escapes prison. He abuses more men escaping prison that are supposedly his friends he or shatters a dude he shatters one dude's jaw and i'm pretty sure actually just kills another one with a poker kills men to escape again finally Bertley shoots him it's great we all cheered and then he like gets to live a little bit longer to go to a church to then like now at the very end of this movie he's like oh i feel bad and it's like no you don't you're dying and you have nothing left to lose, so you'll finally admit your guilt. But until now, he had been willing to literally kill other to, people. And to, to frame other people for his crime. And he never once, ever, apologized. ever felt bad about it. No. He doesn't he doesn't regret it until Until he's he has literally to. nothing left to lose, and he's like, oh, I might go to hell, actually. I should apologize to this mom. And the mom is like, the movie ends with this mom being like, but he didn't know any better. And it's like, he's like a 40-year-old man. I hope he knows better. There's no, there's no excuse. There is no excuse. It is ridiculous. And I, it's just, it's one of those things where by the end of it, I really don't know what this movie is trying to say. And what it does say is that, you know, the violent, like the violent actions of men can be excused, which is no, mm-hmm. no. But also this is why Bertley is great because he comes in. He's like, well, obviously his best friend did it. All of the clues point to him. I've done it, detective. I've, I've done connected it. all the dots. And the head of the IRA is like, well, they were best friends. I just don't know what the motive would be. And Bertley's like, well, I'm going to keep following him because I know I'm right. And he does. And he gets proven right like time and time again. So at the end of like the day, he's like, hey, I watched you spend 20 pounds, which is exactly how much your friends cost and like finally no one can give him an excuse anymore yeah it's like where it's so good it, i love Bertley. That, that scene where um bartley is I, I think it's actually gallagher who's doing it but i'm gonna give the credit to bartley where bartley's going through all of the money he spent drinking throughout the night 
drinking and giving to other people and, and giving to other people and and they and he just adds it up and he's like that's 20 pounds where did you get the money say it say where you got and the he money. doesn't he refuses he lies Up until, until the, the end. very very end and by the very end i mean him literally dying but that i and probably i'm gonna say that scene alone that tribunal scene like it's real basic math shit but that's if you if you want to know how to write like a good conclusion to a mystery story that scene is it right this is the evidence this is me putting it together in front of you watch as your excuses literally wash through your fingers you pathetic man <laughs> so good it's so that's good. what that's what the end of a mystery should feel like when you catch the criminal and I don't think that scene's supposed to feel like that, though, which is wild. I no. think that scene's supposed to be, like, sad, like, oh, no. Got, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he got caught. And it's like, no, this is so good. You want him, you don't, the movie, here's the thing is, the movie, the script, the writing, the direction, want Jippo to get away with this. They want him to get away with it, to get to America, to start a new life. But me, the audience, I want this motherfucker to burn. <laughs> absolutely in hell oh my god it's, devil as my witness i remember as we were watching this i had complained like where is the tension in this movie we know he did it we know this person's gonna catch him like where is the tension coming from and i and then at the very end i realized like oh the tension was supposed to be Bertley like catching him but it, that wasn't tension we're that too, was relief we're so too, the entire movie was just frustrating because there was no push and pull we were just like well how long is it going to take for us to finally get there yeah for this per, for this dude to finally you know, pay his dues. And it's honestly wild to me. How many metaphors he... for how many metaphors for justice do you think I could come up with? Because <laughs> I'm like at five, I think. Yeah, it is wild. Oh my god! And a scene that they do, I think, well, but not in the way they intend to. Yeah, is the person Jippo frames for the crime is like the tailor, and this tailor is one like an old man, but two being like, I sew your guys's clothes. I'm like. I support you. I work from like dusk till dawn. Wh when would I have the time? Why would I do that? Yeah, I work from dusk till dawn and then afterwards I go to church. Yeah, and it it's just like you're framing this hardworking man and it feels so bad and it makes you hate him even more because like, I don't know, he could have framed somebody who was at least a little shitty, but instead he framed this like upstanding citizen and it was like, what is wrong with you? That you would be like, well, I don't know kill this old man who's giving back to society yeah so in the moment it makes you double down and you're like oh my god yes this guy is so cool i can't wait for chippo to get framed for this and i don't think that's what's supposed to happen yeah i just i just don't know i think i think this movie is sloppy yeah i think this movie's sloppy if i had to use one word to describe it as a debut picture from this director it Gives me no hope for anything else he's going to do. And the actual moving picture part of the movie is fine. Like the direction, the actual like, you know, what the pictures look like on the screen. There are tons of like shots in the movie that I would say are really good. There are some shots in the movie that are very funny, even though I don't think the director intended them to be funny. Like when at the begin, when Bartley first starts tailing Jippo, he gets found out right outside of this bar that Jippo's like buying everybody fish and chips at. And Jippo sees him and is like, hey, my friend, you should come join us. And he's like, no, Jippo, I got to go do other things. And then 
Jippo turns around and leaves with like a bunch of dudes and Bartley like dusts himself off and then just immediately starts following them again. And you're like, my guy, maybe wait a little longer. Uh, Maybe, maybe tail a little bit further back, which to be fair for the rest of the movie, he's, he's, he doesn't get caught again. But it is very, very funny. And like, yeah, there, there are some shots in the movie that are beautiful. Some shots that are in the movie that are, I look at them and I'm like, oh, wow, that's like really good framing. But, uh, but it's but it's nothing. One of the framing things that I think is really good and a really good shorthand for like depicting their class, sort of the moment in which she, uh, Katie's thinking about like, maybe I should sleep with this person for money. She's standing outside next to like a lamp and this like man in a suit comes by and he's smoking and he like blows smoke in her face and is like, I can treat you like this and you'll still give me what I want. And I think it's really good. That's good symbolism for like, these are workers who get treated like garbage and are still expected to perform. Yeah. But the 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 for for I think for there's nothing exceptional about no. it though, right? No. There there was no there's no shot in the movie that made me go, "Wow. How did they do that?" or "Wow, that's so like smart and like I've never I haven't seen that before either in any of the movies we've seen or just ever." This movie doesn't have any of that. It's largely boring. No, and in fact, this movie holds your hand this movie only really has one symbol and it's the poster of the friend with the money on it. And we see that poster like every 10 minutes. They do another shot of that poster. Like, remember that he killed his friend for money? Like, no, I, I do. Yeah, we get it. And they do it so frequently. It's it's aggravating. Almost At first, insulting. I was like, oh, this That's, is kind of cute. It's cute. Uh, and then they did it for like the third time. And I was like, do they think I'm dumb? And well, and then they did it like in the middle of it, like in the halfway point of the movie, and I was like, "Come the fuck on! We have done this like twelve times. We get it. He feels guilty. I wish he would show his guilt in any of his actions, and not just think about this poster twelve times." Yeah, it's it's awful. So I would say that's a mark against this director. Like literally. No other symbolism and zero faith that you will follow this one point of symbolism. It's like, I get it. The poster is his guilt. Can we move on? So do you think this film deserved its Oscar? No. Well, I'll, I'll, you'll be pleased to know that it won four of them. Oh. It won Best Actor for Jippo Nolan. Disgusting. It won um, Best Writing adapted and Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait. Oh. Oh. Uh, apparently, um, the writer who won the Oscar for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay turned it down because of union disagreements. Nice. But he, he, it was the first time an Oscar was declined, although he claimed it three years later, and it also won an Oscar for Best Score. I don't even remember the music in this movie. And Best Film Editing. No. Oh, wait, no, that was a nomination. Never mind. So it was just Best Score... Best writing adapted screenplay, best director, best actor. No, and I don't think I don't think any of those things are true. The only, it should have gotten best supporting. Si- supporting, and it should have been Bartley. Yeah, Bartley as best supporting actor. There is a scene. Katie goes to Mary, and she's like, "Wouldn't you want to save your lover?" And I feel like Mary is just like, "My lover is like." Like the head of the IRA, he's really responsible. Like I just wouldn't put myself in that position. I just don't. I just don't think that my fiance would 
kill my own brother. Be a fucking heinous asshole. Yeah, and it's so weird. <laughs> I just don't think he'd do it. I, I just don't know why Katie would go there and be like, wouldn't you save your lover? And it's like, why do you want, why do you even want to save him? What has Jippo ever done for you? Literally he didn't nothing. Even, he didn't even buy your ticket to America. He gave he her spent... the last five pounds he had. But if he hadn't have run into her in the street, he wouldn't have given it he to her. He probably would have spent it on more food and alcohol if he could. It's, it's, it's no bueno. And I want to reiterate, by the way, again, that I think the the depiction of this of this Irish character as like a drunken idiot is uh, awful, and they shouldn't have done it. But this movie was based on a book, uh, right? Like yeah. a best selling book, and so clearly it thinks that like, oh, we're being real, right? But it's being real in like the same way a fucking Michael Bay movie is being real when it portrays all black men as being into hip hop, right? And talking like that, like that's not realism. It's it's. It's it's sensational. What's the word I'm looking for? It's sensational stereotyping, right? We've accepted it as being true of a certain minority class. All it is is lazy shorthand. It's true. It that is not to say that like violent drunk Irishmen didn't exist, but it is to say that there were not violent drunk Irishmen that you could have told a story about. Like any of the members of the IRA would have been way better like main characters much more interesting stories that would have talked about like the politics and diaspora and the culture i would have loved to see a movie about gallagher and his like fraught relationship with his fiance because of his dedication to the cause of revolution right because she's constantly asking him why don't you stay why can't you just give this up and be with me we can do that we have the money and the means and he's constantly telling her no I am part of something bigger than myself. And if I give up, I'm not just giving up on my friends. I'm not just giving up on on the people that see me as a leader. I'm giving up on the cause of our country being free, and I just can't do that. That's a fucking character that I would love to have seen more of. Also would have been, I don't know, not a super stereotypical retelling of Irish people. So like, that's nice. Right? Him and his bunker of guns. <laughs> More bombs than guns. Right. The the I don't think the the movie knew like the movie I guess the movie didn't want to put like Looney Tunes like Acme like circle bombs with the fuse. So instead of that, his bunker is just full of guns. But like yeah. historically, we know that they didn't really have many. I love that. That's the shorthand though, right? Like this is how you know they're the IRA. This bunker's full of guns. Like well, well. Yeah, no, this movie doesn't deserve its Oscar. No. It doesn't deserve anything. It's not even a fun watch. It's a very frustrating watch. I I will say, you know, if you want to if you want to feel the exhilarating thrill of finally watching this man die. Oh boy. It's not what the movie is supposed to be about, but it is awesome. If you want to fall in love with Bartley like we did. Dude's rock. Uh, I say as Bartley unloads a revolver into this man from the hip, too. Amazing shot. And available, maybe? And available. Maybe? Maybe. It's it's a time. It's I it is weirdly refreshing that this movie has like other issues because it takes place in a different setting. But that's not really a compliment. <laughs> yeah, right. Like oh like, oh, it's nice that it's nice that this movie's fucked up in ways that we haven't seen before. At the very least it has that. Ultimately, I think this movie is middle of the road. I don't think it's bad enough to be to be special and it's not good boring in, enough to be like 
the on... snooze fests we're used to. Yeah. I don't know if, if, yeah, if there was an axis of boring to exciting and like uh, heinously awful to surprisingly good, it would be square in the middle of both of those axes. Yeah. Not boring enough, not exciting enough, not awful enough, but not good enough either. I feel like this movie just, it's just shallow. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not heinous because it doesn't actually have like a stake in the game. Yeah, like a muddy pool in the streets of Dublin. Yeah. Shallow. Shallow. So, how old are some actors? Does you want to know? Are we good? Um, and we want to know how old these actors are. Do you want to know how old Victor McLaglin, who played Jippo, was? Jippo Nolan. I'm going to say he, he's, I remember him being kind of wrinkly. I'm going to go with like 45. You guessed 40 earlier, like flat 40, yeah. but do you just mean like in his 40s in general? Yeah. But the specific number you're going to go for is 45? Yeah. He was 40 years old. He was Dang born in 1886. I'm going to give it to you because... I yeah. did state it earlier. Yeah, you, you like hit the nail on the head earlier and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was 40 years old, born in 1886. So I get the feeling that being kind of an older actor, maybe they just wanted to give him a best actor Oscar because like he'd been around for a while. That do be how the Oscars do. If you wait long enough, you'll just get one. Yeah, if you wait long enough, you'll get one even though you didn't deserve it that year. Looking at you, Gary Oldman... And Anthony Hopkins. Two actors that I genuinely think are amazing, but didn't deserve those Oscars. How old was Margot Graham, 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 who played Katie? That was Jippo's girlfriend. That was also the lady, right? Who was in... No, no, you're thinking of the mom. Oh, No, this is, dang. this is, yeah, yeah. Frankie's mom was played by the same actress who played the... Maid. Uh, the maid mother... Uh, in maiden the maid mother of Cavalcade, um, whose husband gets absolutely run over by a carriage. I she... love my Irish maiden mother, Magdalene. Yes, Mag Mary Magdalene. Yes. Um. Yeah, Margot Graham. She played Katie. She was Katie. she was Jippo's girlfriend. Uh, I'm gonna go with she didn't seem old to me. I'm gonna go with twenty six. She was 25. Wow. 1911, which makes her... It's gross that they kiss. 15 years younger. Yeah, don't like... Which is quite a gap. Don't like that. Um, She was born in 1911. Also, don't like that this, like, 40-year-old man is shaking this 26-year-old around, because he does that a lot. Yeah, and again, it doesn't help that he's so fucking massive. Uh, It's not... He's so big, it's not what you want. How old was Heather Angel... We don't played, see her that much. Who played Mary, who was Frankie's sister and Gallagher's love interest. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with twenty six again. They seemed of similar age. She was twenty seven, born in nineteen oh nine. Nice. Twenty six was the best bet. Twenty six is twenty six is a great I honestly think twenty six is a good twenty five is a good guess for any actress in a movie. It's true. Um, if she's not playing a mom, probably twenty six. Um I feel like the all of these actresses are usually in their in their like eighteen to mid twenties, right? Yeah. Like Preston Foster, who played Gallagher, uh, the head of the the local branch of the IRA. I want to I want to believe he's better just because I like his character more. So I'm going to say he's 33. 33. Gallagher was born in 1900, which would have made him 36. Uh, so he was nine years older than Heather Angel was born in 1909. Still better. I a decade is pushing it, but. I don't know what it is, but like 40 to 25, I'm like, no. Yeah. You absolutely know. not. But like 
36 to 27, I mean, I'm more open to it, but I, I think it's like still too much. The problem is if you could give birth to them, then like you shouldn't be dating them because they could be your kid. Well, I don't know if that 15 years is, is yes, is, is a could, but is also like a gross could. But absolutely, you're right. Um, as opposed to nine. You could a not nine year old, nine. A nine-year-old could not. A 15-year-old, yeah, could. Um, oh, I historically know that a 50-year-old can. My mom was 15 when she had me. I think push. I think nine is still a little too much, but yeah, it's definitely. I'm not as grossed out by it. Yeah, no. As, I, like I said, I think egregious ages are like, well, that could be your kid, and less egregious is if you couldn't. But that doesn't make it acceptable, right? Yeah, but but I think also the other thing is like, right? There's a difference between a 25 year old dating a a 35 year old between and a um, 20 year old dating a 30 year old it's true right like a 20 year old dating a 30 year old i'm like ew but a 25 year old dating a 35 year old i'm like eh, you probably shouldn't but like i don't know you're, you're both like, adults you're, you're both adults you gotta love that like the same man who plays the main character will have a woman play his daughter his lover and his wife while yeah. he's still the main character right i know i i feel like there should be more to say about this i just don't think this movie has enough to yeah. say anything about i <laughs> You know what this movie does have? A huge poster that just says Jews on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are they doing? What are they up to? We don't know, but they made a poster about they it. They made a poster. Yeah, we're... It's we're, mad sus. We, every, every year we finish, we get closer and closer to World War II. <laughs> and I'm just so sad about it. Yeah. But the... Um, what are we watching next time? What are we watching next time? Next time, we are watching... Mutiny on the Bounty, directed by Frank Lloyd. Our boy Frank Lloyd. Oh, man. Back again. And starring our old friend, Clark Gable. I don't he's, like Clark Gable. He's back. I think Clark Gable sucks. <laughs> he's back. No. Baby. I was excited for Frank Lloyd, but I'm saddened by Clark Gable. Are we excited for Frank Lloyd? I guess we are. Yeah, the Frank Lloyd movie was all right. We didn't think it deserved an Oscar. Oscar. We didn't hate it. We didn't hate it, yeah. So yeah, Muni on the Bounty. Best picture. Best ship. I have been your host, Andy Reyes. And I have been your host, Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at Mavis Evergreen on Twitter. And you can find me at Royalty underscore Valens on Twitter. You can also find my other podcast, Direct2 Video at Direct2.video or wherever your local podcasts are collected. It's a little more dumb than this one, but only sometimes. Uh, and, and remember, morals do not belong to a time. Mm -hmm. They always existed. Yeah, a golden statue isn't indicative of quality. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, I think I found mine. <laughs> <laughs>